ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله ذلك the praise belongs to Allah we praise him seek his assistance and forgiveness and we seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves and the evil consequences of our deeds whoever Allah guides there is no one that can lead him astray and whoever Allah leads astray there is no one that can guide him i bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshiped except Allah alone and that he has no partners or associates and i bear witness that muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam is his slave servant and his messenger this afternoon bismillah ta'ala we would like to continue what we left off last week from the hadith of kitab at-siyam the book of fasting from bulugh al-maram min adillat al-ahkam the book of hadith related to the evidences of the rulings legal rulings in islam al-hafiz ibn haj al-asqalani rahimahullah the hadith that we reached uh, is hadith number 549 hadith number 549 an abi hurairah radiyallahu anhu qala that abu hurairah may allah be pleased with him said jaa rajulun ila an-nabiy sallallahu alayhi wa sallama faqala halaqtu ya rasulullah a man came to the prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and he said to him i have been destroyed I have been ruined O messenger of Allah. Qala wa ma ahlakaka? The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam asked him, what has ruined you? What is it that has destroyed you? And what has happened? Qala waqa'tu ala imra'ati fi Ramadan. He said that I have had sexual intercourse with my wife during Ramadan, yani during the daylight hours in the month of Ramadan. Yani knowingly, knowing the ruling concerning it intentionally, he has done so, so he knows that this is a severe matter he said i am ruined i am destroyed faqala the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said to him hal tajidu ma ta'tiqu raqbatan yani do you have or can you find do you possess or can you get that a slave that you may free yani as an expiation for what you have done qala la he said no qala sallallahu alaihi wasallam fa hal tastati'u an tasuma shahrayni mutasabi'ayni the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said are you able to fast two consecutive months يعني consecutive without a break in between consecutive قال لا he said no i am not able to do so قال صلى الله عليه وسلم فهل تجد ما تطعم 60 مسكينا he said صلى الله عليه وسلم then do you find that with which you may feed 64 people do you have the ability to provide 64 people with food قال لا he said no yani here the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam has given him the option what is the expiation for the one who has done this who has had sexual relations with his spouse knowingly consciously during the daytime hours in the month of ramadan he said can you free a slave or can you fast for two consecutive months or feed 60 people he said that he wasn't able to do any of that thumma jalasa so he said فأُتِيَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ بِعَرَقٍ فِيهِ تَمْرٌ then there was a basket of dates brought to the prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم and according to some of the narrations not in الصحيحين in البخاري ومسلم some of the narrations mention that that basket of dates contained 15 or 20 sa'a here it is mentioned as 30 but in any case some of the narrations mention 15 and some of them mention 20 
uh, and perhaps what is more accurate is that it was 15, as the scholars, the majority of the scholars held that what the poor person is entitled to is a ruba sa'a, yani one-fourth of a sa'a, therefore 15 sa'a would have been sufficient for 60 people. He said that this basket of dates was brought to the Prophet ﷺ, he said, give this in charity. فقال, then the man said, أعلى أفقر منا فما بين لبتيها أهل بيت أحوج إليه منا. Then that man he said, shall I give it to somebody who is more poor than us, more poor than me and my family? He said, there is no people who are more in need of this than us between لبتيها the two uh, sections of Medina, the two mountains of Medina. He said, there is no person or no family in Medina who are more in need of this than we are. فَضَحِكَ النَّبِيِّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ حَتَّى بَدَتْ أَنْيَابُهُ ثُمَّ قَالَ اِذْهَبْ فَأَفْعِمْهُ أَهْلَكَ The Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم laughed until his pre-molarchy was seen, appeared. Then he said, go and feed it to your family. يعني feed your own family with those dates. And in the narration of Abu Dawood, from Abu Huraira رضي الله عنه he said وصم يوما واستغفر الله he said fast one day and seek forgiveness from Allah that is fast one day to make up for the day that you have violated and seek forgiveness of Allah for the sin of doing so intentionally that is freeing of a slave or fasting two consecutive months or feeding 64 people, in addition to making up for that day that he has violated and seeking forgiveness of Allah. This hadith, Al-Hafiz ibn Hajj al-Asqalani says, رَوَاهُ السَّبَعَةُ وَاللَّظُّ لِمُسْلِمْ That it has been narrated by the seven, the seven narratives that he indicated in the introduction to the book, that is the Muslim of Imam Ahmed and the Sahihin al-Bukhari and Muslim, and the four kutub al-sunan Abu Dawood al-Tirmidhi ibn Majah al-Nasai wal-lavdhu li-muslim while the exact wording of the hadith as it is mentioned here it is the wording from the narration of al-imam Muslim rahimahullah in his sahih <coughs> that which some of the scholars have mentioned concerning this hadith and the ahkam or rulings that might be derived from it According to the explanation of this book, Bulugum Muram, by Al-Imam Muhammad Ali al-Sanani, the great scholar from Yemen, in his explanation he has mentioned a number of issues and discussions of the scholars and what we might derive from it in summary. And it is a lengthy hadith and there are many points that might be derived from it. The first of them is the obligation of Al-Kafara for the one who has sexual relations during the daylight hours in Ramadan. If that person is wealthy or if they are poor and this is by ijma'al consensus of the scholars that it is obligatory to perform the kafara that is to uh, free a slave or to feed 60 uh, fast two consecutive months or feed 64 people and kafara is obligatory on the one who has done so by ijma'al the second point is the kafara for the one who has sexual relations with their spouse in the daytime in Ramadan it is the freeing of a slave 
according to the majority of scholars, a believing slave. And there is difference of opinion about this matter because the Prophet ﷺ didn't specify. He said, free a slave. And he didn't say believing slave. However, the majority of the scholars held that it should be a believing slave. Fasting for two consecutive months or feeding 60 people in this order. Yani if you cannot free a slave, then you may fast for two consecutive months. But if you are unable, then you may feed 64 people. Otherwise, the one who is able to free a slave, it is obligatory to do so before looking at the other options in that order as mentioned in the hadith according to the jamhur or majority of the scholars. Uh, <coughs> according to the Hanafi school of law, it is allowed to free a slave, even if that slave is a kafir. Yani, their opinion is based on the fact that the Prophet ﷺ has mentioned freeing of a slave mutlaqan, without specifying that it has to be a believing slave. While the other scholars held that it should be a believing slave. And there is a lengthy discussion concerning it. In any case, yani, the opinion of the majority is that it is a believing slave. <coughs> uh, the obligation of this order Yani, that one of them may not be performed until yani, the, it is sure, it is clear that the person cannot do the first of them. Yani, the first of these three things that are required as kafara. Number four, the, permis- the permissibility of eating the food that has been presented as expiation for the one who has done so. Yani, the one who is obligated to perform this kafara, that it is permissible for them to eat from that food that should be distributed to feed the poor. If that person who is obligated to perform the kafara is himself poor, then he also might eat from it as the Prophet ﷺ allowed in this case. Number five, the obligation of the kafara on the women also, according to the majority of scholars. And the second opinion is that it is not obligatory on the women since the Prophet ﷺ did not mention the women in this hadith. Again, there is a lengthy discussion concerning this. However, the point is that the majority of scholars held that the woman is also required to perform this expiation and a minority opinion is that she does not have to. Number six, that it is commendable. Yani, it is mustahab to be kind and lenient with the one who is learning. As the Prophet ﷺ was easy and kind and lenient to that man as he was teaching him. He wasn't harsh with him. When he, told, when he said, I am not able to free a slave, and I am not able to fast for two consecutive months, and I am not able to feed 60 people. He didn't get upset with him, but he was kind and easy with him, and therefore it is commendable for one to do so with the one that you are teaching. Number seven, the permissibility of a man informing about those matters that has happened between him and his wife, private matters, if there is a need or necessity to do so, as in this case. Number eight, the final point, is the acceptability of the saying of the person who is held responsible to perform some action. It is permissible, it is acceptable to accept what they say and to believe them if it is not possible to know about their specific situation other than through them. Yani the Prophet ﷺ accepted his saying when he said, I am not able to free a slave. He accepted it. He said, I am not able to fast. He accepted it. He said, I am not able to feed. He accepted it. Because only through him could he know. So it is acceptable to take the word of the one who is responsible to fulfill some duty if it is not possible to know except from that person. The next hadith, number 550, An Aisha 
وام سلمه رضي الله عنهما ان النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم كان يصبح جنبا من جماع ثم يغتسل ويصوم عائشه رضي الله عنها ان ام سلمه رضي الله عنها وكذا معرفه الرسول صلى الله عليه وسلم used to begin the morning يعني he used to wake up in the morning in a state of janaba يعني while he was sexually impure from sexual impurity and this was from having sexual relations in that condition he used to wake up sometime at the time of dawn and in that case he would take a ghusl a bath and he would fast يعني even though the dawn had appeared and he hadn't yet taken a ghusl then he would just take a ghusl and he would begin his fast muttafaqun alayhi is agreed upon by al-bukhari and muslim and in and in, the, in a narration of al-imam muslim he has also added from the hadith of um salama radiyallahu anha wala yaqdi yani that the prophet sallallahu alayhi used to fast that day in which he woke up in a state of janaba he used to fast that day and he didn't used to make up for that day he didn't used to make it up that means that the fast it was legitimate it was acceptable from this hadith <coughs> It is mentioned that the correctness of the fast of the one who wakes up in the morning in a state of major sexual impurity from having sexual relations or from any other cause and this is by ijma according to al-Imam An-Nawawi rahimahullah and also from this hadith we understand yani indirectly it is understood the permissibility of having sexual relations with one spouse during the night in Ramadan And it is not prohibited to have sexual relations in the night. What is prohibited is during the hours of fasting in the day. The next hadith, hadith number 551, an Aisha radiyallahu anha, anna nabiyya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam qal, man mata wa alayhi siyamun, fama anhu waliyuhu, muttafakun alayhi. Aisha radiyallahu anha reported that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said that whoever died while he had upon him the obligation of fulfilling a fast then his heir or his relative near relative should fast on his behalf yani whoever has died while there is some fast due from them yani they are obligated to to fast a day or some days and they have not done so and they died before fulfilling that obligation then their heir the one who inherits from them or their relative should fast on their behalf from this hadith we understand number one yani from the apparent meaning of the hadith that it is obligatory for the heir of the person who has died while there is some fast due from them to make up that fast for them it is obligatory and this is understood because as the scholars said even though the wording of the hadith is as though the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam is informing about something that if somebody dies in this condition then the heir should make up the fast for them the meaning of it is that it is a command and a command indicates that something is obligatory except that there are some scholars who have claimed that there is ijma upon the fact that this ruling of the heir fasting for the one who has died while they are due some fast that it is mandub not wajib yani that it is not obligatory but it is commendable there is a claim that there is ijma uh and we say there is a claim because according to al imam malik rahimahullah and al imam abu hanifa rahimahullah 
the one who has died while there is some fast due from them, then no one should fast for them. But what is obligatory is that expiation should be paid on their behalf, yani, the feeding of a poor person on their behalf. So it is clear that there is no ijma. But in any case, the point is that the heir of that person, according to the majority opinion, should fast for them, or according to the minority opinion, then they should feed a poor person for every day that they have. They had due, and it's a fast. The second point is that it is permissible for somebody to substitute for another person in fasting as well as in hajj. As far as hajj, it is very clear from the clear text of Quran and Sunnah. However, as far as fasting, it is clear from this hadith that it is permissible uh, for somebody to substitute for someone. And this, it is according to some scholars in the case of the one who had an obligation upon them, whether it is in hajj or in fasting. The one who had an obligation upon them and not due to neglectfulness or to their uh, negligence, but due to unforeseeable situation or circumstance, they didn't fulfill that obligation, then somebody may do it for them. However, the one who is capable and able to perform the hajj, and they don't do so just out of negligence or taking the matter lightly, then some of the scholars held that nobody can fulfill that for them because it is an obligation that Allah has placed on an individual and nobody can do it for them even if they paid them to. Yani except the one who is unable, not due to negligence. The last point he said is that the guardian or the heir or the relative of that person who has died uh, is responsible to fulfill that fast for him or according to the minority opinion to uh, feed a corporate. This is the last hadith of this section. And the next section is voluntary fast. Uh, and what is prohibited from fasting? What days or times or circumstances are prohibited? But uh, what I want to do, I hope you don't object to it, is I want to skip to the section following this, the last hadith of this section, because uh, that section is dealing with etikaf. And because the last 10 days of Ramadan are upon us, it is important that we at least discuss this topic. And then inshallah we can go back, if Allah wills, to those hadiths that deal with voluntary fasting and prohibited fasting. So we want to go to the next section, that is the section Al-Atikaf, and standing in the night in Ramadan. And that section starts from hadith number 568. Al-Atikaf, according to some of the scholars, it means linguistically to remain in some place or, or to stay in some place. And technically it means when a person stays in the masjid uh, in a particular manner performing any certain particular acts and meaning that a person stays in the masjid with the intention of praying to Allah and reading Quran and doing acts of ibadah to get near to Allah to earn his reward. If a person stays in the masjid for some time with that intention this is what is called atikaf. Uh, and Al-Imam Al-Nawi rahimahullah said that as far as Qiyam, uh, the Qiyam of Ramadan that is standing in the night it includes both both standing in the night for prayer as well as uh, sitting in the night reading Quran. And he said that the Qiyam of Ramadan it is achieved by the person who performs Salat al-Taraweeh. And this is an indication from Al-Imam al-Nawi, rahimahullah, that it is not a condition 
uh, of Qiyam al-Layl that the person has to spend the whole of the night in voluntary prayer. It is not a condition that the person has to spend the whole of the night. But whoever performs Salat al-Faraweeh, then that person, inshallah, will have achieved the reward of the one who performs Qiyam al-Layl in Ramadan, standing in the night. Uh, quickly though, we might note here that this expression, al-Faraweeh, is not an expression that is found in the Sunnah. Not found in the Quran, nor in the Sunnah. However, the scholars from early times have used this expression to refer to the prayer that is performed after Salat al-Isha in Jama'ah in the Masjid during the night of Ramadan. However, the reason why I want to note this is because even though this expression Qarawi is used for that prayer at that time, and the prayer in the later part of the night is called Qiyam. And the prayer that is normally performed in the night is called Tahajjid. In fact, it is one prayer. There is no difference between them and there is no basis in the Qur'an nor in the Sunnah to distinguish between them. But the prayer in the night, it is in the Qur'an Tahajjid. And the Prophet ﷺ has also used that expression and he has used the expression Qiyam. And it is the same prayer. The Prophet ﷺ used to pray it during the night at any time from Salat al-Isha until Fajr. The best time to pray it is in the last part of the night. However, whoever prays it, even in the early part of the night, it is the same prayer. And these different names, they don't mean that there are three different prayers or two different prayers, but there is one prayer that the Prophet ﷺ used to pray in the night. Sometimes he used to pray it, according to Aisha radiallahu anha and Sahihain, he used to pray it sometime in the early part of the night. And sometimes he used to pray it in the middle part of the night, and sometimes he used to pray it in the end of the night. So it is all the same, and Allah knows best. The first hadith is hadith number 568 on Abi Hurairah radiyallahu anhu anna Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam qal man qama ramadana imanan wahtisaban ghufira lahu ma taqadama min zambih Abu Hurairah radiyallahu anhu said that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said that whoever stands in Ramadan meaning standing in the night in the salat of the night in Ramadan من قام رمضان whoever stands in the prayer of the night in Ramadan with these two conditions إيمانا واحتسابا with faith and seeking the reward from Allah then that person would have all of their previous sins forgiven some of the scholars said that إيمانا واحتسابا the meaning of إيمانا here it means having faith in the truthfulness of the promise of Allah سبحانه وتعالى of his reward إيمانا Meaning that a person believes that the promise of Allah, of the reward for the one who does so, is true. Other scholars said that the meaning might be that the one who stands in the night imanan, it means the one who stands in the night due to his iman. It is his iman that is the cause, the motivation for him to stand in the night, not for any other reason. He is standing in the night because he has iman. That's why he is standing. And that means this is an indication that he is doing it purely for the sake of Allah alone. That it is with ikhlas, he is doing it for Allah alone. Wahtisaban, it means that he does it seeking and hoping for the pleasure of Allah or the reward of Allah or seeking the face of Allah. <coughs> this hadith is reported by Al-Bukhari and Muslim. Hafiz ibn Hajj al-Salani says, وَاتَّفَقُنَ عَلَيْهِ From this hadith, the first point that is mentioned is that it is commendable and it is beloved 
that a person perform the standing in the night, and the prayer in the night. And that this standing in the night is a reason for forgiveness of sin. It would be a cause for one's sin to be forgiven. And that, according to some of the scholars, as Al-Imam Al-Sana'ani and others have said, that this standing in the night is achieved by the prayer of 11 raka'ah. Yani, if somebody prays 11 raka'ah, it is yani, complete and it is sufficient for them to be accredited with performing qiyam al-layl. Even though there are various narrations and the opinions of the scholars that the night prayer is 20 raka'ah or 21 raka'ah or 23 raka'ah, and it has also been performed as more than that throughout yani, the history of Islam. Uh, what the minimum yani, that is understood from this is that it is 11 raka'ah as it was the regular practice of the Prophet wasallam, as reported from Aisha radiallahu anha in the Sahih al-Bukhari Muslim that the Prophet wasallam, used to perform the night prayers 11 raka'ah in Ramadan and outside of Ramadan. However, yani, in the lengthy discussions of this matter we know that sometimes the Prophet ﷺ used to pray less than 11 raka'ah. Therefore, it is not obligatory to pray 11 raka'ah. And even it is authentically reported that he prayed more than 11 raka'ah, as reported from Ibn Abbas in the Sahih al-Bukhari, and in the narration of Aisha radiallahu anha in Sahih al-Bukhari. And it is reported from Abdul ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma in the Sahih of Muslim, that when the Prophet ﷺ was asked by a man who didn't know how to perform the night prayer, the Prophet ﷺ told him how to perform the night prayer. And his description of the night prayer was the number of raka'ah. The man, he didn't know how to perform the prayer. And that when he asked the Prophet ﷺ, it was his responsibility to teach him how to perform it. And what he taught him was the number of raka'ah. He said, Mathna, Mathna, two by two. That means the prayer should be performed in units of twos. And whoever fears the dawn, yani that when they are praying in the night, if they fear that the dawn is approaching, then they should pray one raka'ah as witr. And some of the scholars said that this hadith is a clear proof that the uh, minimum number of raka'ah for, or the maximum number of raka'ah for, for the night prayer is not 11. It's not the maximum. If it was the maximum, it was obligatory on the Prophet ﷺ to tell him to pray two by two until you reach 11, or until you reach 10, and then pray one raka'ah and don't pray more than that. But he didn't tell him. He said two by two, until you reach the dawn. If you pray until dawn, and it is close to dawn, then pray one raka'ah. Whatever number you have prayed, that is up to you. And Allah knows that. Uh, <clears throat> so he said that if anybody prays 11 raka'ah, it is sufficient. However, if somebody prays less than that or more than that, there is no harm, and Allah knows that. Also, the second point, which is very important, it is obligatory. It is expected that the one who performs the night prayer in Ramadan, that they should do so with ikhlas and niyyah. That they should have pure intention of doing it for Allah alone. Otherwise, there is no reward for any deed that is done. Unless it is done purely for the sake of Allah alone and in accordance with the sharia or the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The next hadith, number 569. وَعَنَ عَائِشَةَ Aisha radiallahu anha reporting what she knew from the Prophet of his private life in his home. She said that whenever the Messenger of Allah entered upon the ten, meaning the last ten nights of Ramadan, whenever he reached that time, Shadda mi'azarahu. 
than he used to tighten his waist belt. And the scholars have various opinions concerning what is the meaning of this expression. Some said literally he used to tighten his waist belt. And most of them said that it is a kinaya or an indirect expression, meaning that he didn't used to have sexual relations with his wives. That he did not used to have sexual relations with his wives. And the other opinion which is connected to this, it is because he used to engage himself fully in ibadah. Also, he used to ahya laylahu, that is, he used to stay up during the night. In the last ten nights of Ramadan, he used to stay up in the night, worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And finally, he used to wake up his family. He used to awaken his family to perform the prayer in the night or to perform other acts of ibadah. And this hadith, we know that it is mustahab, it is commendable that a person should spend as much of the time of the night in the last ten nights of Ramadan awake worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because they are the end. Yani they are the deeds at the end of this ibadah, this fasting of the month of Ramadan. It is the end of the month. And we know that actions will be judged according to that which they end with. What they end with. The last of one's actions will be will determine their condition. Likewise, it is mustahab to wake up one's family and even one's children, if they are capable of praying in the night and benefiting from that for the purpose of worshipping, especially in those last days of the month of Ramadan and those blessed days, that is the days or the night which contain Laylatul Qadr. <coughs> the next hadith, 570, is out of order here. It is out of order, so we should look at hadith number 571. All of the editions of the Arabic text of uh, Bulugum Maram that I have, all of them have the hadith in this order. Yani 571, that in what I have given you here, the hadith 571 is coming before that which is listed as 570. So we will follow the order of the original text, taking 571 first and then 570. Hadith number 571, وَعَنْهَا يعني عَنْ عَيْشَةَ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهَا أَنَّ النَّبِيِّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ كَانَ يَأْتَقِفُ العشر الأواخر من رمضان حتى توفاه الله عز وجل ثم اعتقف أزواجه من بعده متفق عليه عائشة رضي الله عنها she said that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم that he used to perform atikaf in the last ten uh, nights of Ramadan until Allah سبحانه وتعالى took his soul يعني until he died he was performing atikaf in the last ten nights of Ramadan every year consistently regularly until he passed away, then his wives, they used to perform al-atikaf after him. Yani after the death of the Prophet ﷺ, then his wives, they used to perform al-atikaf in the masjid. Al-atikaf is in the masjid. Uh, this hadith is reported by al-Bukhari and Muslim. The next hadith, 570, which you have before it, We'll take the ruling from them together. It is also from Aisha radiallahu anha. قالت كان النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم إذا أراد أن يعتقف صلى الفجر ثم دخل معتقفه متفق عليه. Reported by Al-Bukhari and Muslim that whenever the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم intended to make perform an i'tikaf, he used to pray the fajr prayer, the dawn prayer. Then he will enter his place of i'tikaf, the place where he would spend the place where he would stay during his etikaf in the masjid. And he used to perform the fajr prayer, and from that time he would enter the place of his etikaf, and the place where he would stay in the masjid. His tent or whatever has been put up in the masjid to secure or to seclude a place for him to stay in during that time. From this hadith, or from both of these two hadith, we understand 
that an i'tikaf it is a sunnah it is a regular practice of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam according to ijma' consensus of the scholars the prophet sallallahu wasallam used to perform it regularly consistently and likewise his wives radiyallahu anhunna ajma'in they used to also perform it consistently after his death the second point is that al-i'tikaf in the last 10 nights of ramadan is mustahab it is commendable it is praiseworthy it is beloved by allah subhanahu wa ta'ala a rewardable deed that muslims are encouraged whoever is able to do so number 3 is that one should eagerly seek out the time of laylatul qadr yani the purpose of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam performing an i'tikaf in the last 10 nights of ramadan is due to the fact that he came to know that laylatul qadr the night which is better than a thousand months yani in reward the one who worships in that night would get the reward that one could get in a lifetime because of that night it is in the last 10 nights of ramadan then he used to perform i'tikaf yani so that he would he would make every effort it was his way of devoting himself exclusively to worship so that he would definitely be worshiping in that night whenever it came whichever of the nights that it was therefore it is yani we are encouraged uh that we should seek laylatul qadr yani we should try to make sure that we are worshiping in that night uh number 4 the permissibility of women performing an i'tikaf in the masjid as long as they are safe from any fitna yani as long as there is no fear of evil or corruption or harm coming from there making i'tikaf in the masjid it is allowed for the women to make i'tikaf in the masjid number 5 uh according to this hadith the obvious meaning of this hadith the beginning of the time of the i'tikaf is after salat al-fajr and there is a great difference of opinion amongst the scholars concerning this and the normal practice of the people is to begin the i'tikaf before the maghrib prayer because the night is the beginning of the day and according to any islamic uh scholars the night is the beginning of the day therefore one should begin the i'tikaf at maghrib time in order to encompass or in order to uh reach that night however the clear text of this hadith is that the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam began his i'tikaf after the fajr prayer and therefore the scholars have attempted to interpret this hadith in some way so that there wouldn't be a contradiction between the other authentic hadith which states that the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam used to perform i'tikaf in the last 10 nights of ramadan so either the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam has entered i'tikaf at the fajr time on the day before the last of the 10 nights of ramadan not on the night or not on the fajr following the last of the first of the last 10 nights of ramadan not on the fajr following that but on the fajr before that yani for example today is the 20th of ramadan that means tonight will be the 21st night of ramadan because the night precedes the day so therefore some of the scholars said that perhaps he has entered i'tikaf at the time of fajr meaning on the fajr of the 20th day in order to reach the 21st night and other scholars have given other interpretations in allah knows best uh the next hadith hadith number 572 wa anha that is aisha radiyallahu anha qalat in kana rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam la yudkhilu alayya ra'sahu wa huwa fi al-masjid wa urajjiluhu wa kana la yadkhulu al-bayta illa li hajatin idha kana mu'taqifan muttafaqun alayh wa al-lafz lil-bukhari aisha radiyallahu anha said that verily he that is the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam he 
used to put his head. He used to enter his head upon her, meaning in her room. He used to put his head, while he was in the masjid, he used to put his head through the door of her room into her house. And she used to comb his hair. And she said that he didn't used to enter the house. And he never left the masjid to come inside the house completely, except for a need, for hajjah. And most of the scholars said that that hajjah is that which is of necessity, that which cannot be done in the masjid, meaning relieving oneself, answering the call of nature, such as urinating or defecating, or if the person is in state of janaba, to take a ghusl and so on. Those things that are of necessity, that cannot possibly be done in the masjid. He never left the masjid to enter the house except for necessity, if he was in Atikaf. This hadith is Mustafaqun Alay, reported by Al-Bukhari and Muslim, and the exact wording that has been given here is the wording of Al-Imam Bukhari. Rahimahullah. From this hadith we understand the permissibility of the person who is in Atikaf, to seek or to use the service of his wife, to wash his head or to comb his hair and so on. It is permissible. And if a person lives in that place where they can enter their head into their house, the Prophet ﷺ, the rooms of his wives were connected to the masjid. The rooms of his wives were connected to the masjid. As for our houses, they are not connected to the masjid. Allah knows that. Number two, the, the lack of or the absence of permissibility of the person in Atikaf going out of the masjid. But if part of his body is out of the masjid, it doesn't invalidate the Atikaf. Yani going out completely is, is, a, is a violation of Atikaf. However, the Prophet ﷺ made it clear that if one puts their head outside of the masjid, it is not a violation of an Atikaf. The permissibility of the person in Atikaf to go out of the masjid for necessity. Yani this is by agreement. If the person has to go out to relieve themselves to answer the call of nature, to urinate or to defecate, it is by ittifaq of the scholars that it is permissible to do so. However, some scholars said that other things, yani serious needs, are also it is allowed for a person to go out, such as, for example, though there may be difference of opinion about it, if the person didn't have anyone to bring them food and they didn't have any access to food or drink, then... Uh, they may go out to break their fast and to take some food and then they should return immediately to their place of etikaf, to the masjid. <coughs> also from this hadith we understand that it is legislative, that one should be clean, that one should maintain cleanliness while they are in etikaf. Unlike what we find uh, amongst many of the people today, those who are in etikaf or those who are sleeping in the masjid for any other reason, who don't attend to the matter of and nawafa cleanliness. And this is a very important part of Islam, that even if a person is staying in the masjid, they should attend to the cleanliness of their place, and the cleanliness of their body and their clothing, and so on. And the next hadith, the hadith number 573, ولا يباشرها ولا يخرج لحاجة إلا لما لا بد له منه ولا اعتكاف إلا بسوم ولا اعتكاف إلا في مسجد جامع رواه أبو داود ولا بأس برجاله إلا أن الراجح وقف آخره يعني ذات حديث before mentioning the wording of the hadith the end of the hadith he says here, Al-Hafiz ibn Hajj al-Asqalani rahimahullah says that this hadith is reported by Abu Dawood 
and he said that the narrators, the narrators in the chain of narration, he said لا بِرِجَالِهِ يعني that the narrators are acceptable narrators. يعني the hadith is an acceptable hadith according to the chain of narration. Except that the strongest opinion concerning this chain of narration is that it is mawquf, or at least the end of it, the end of the hadith is mawquf, meaning the last words of the hadith, that there is no atikaf except with fasting, and there is no atikaf except in a jami masjid. He said that the stronger opinion, the difference of opinion amongst the scholars, the stronger opinion, is that it is mawquf, the ending of the hadith. This hadith, Aisha radiallahu anha, she says that the sunnah, the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu is that the person who is in etikaf should not visit the sick. They should not go out of etikaf to go and visit somebody who is sick. Even though visiting the sick is commendable, it is a rewardable deed, but not for the person in etikaf. Because the person in etikaf is supposed to stay in the masjid in seclusion for the purpose of worship, for communication and contact and getting near to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So they, they should not go out to visit the sick even though it is commendable, nor should they go out to follow a janazah. If somebody has died, and the body is being taken to the cemetery, they should not follow it. Nor should they touch a woman, nor should they fondle a woman. And here the scholars differ concerning these two expressions, However, the, the, the clearest meaning of it is that they shouldn't have sexual relations with a woman, nor should they do that which is less than it of hugging or, or fondling or whatever, while they are in etika. And that the person who is in etikaf should not go out for any need except that which is of necessity. And that which they have to do. There is no escape from it. And the end of the hadith which many of the scholars said is mawkuf. And meaning that it is not a, it is not a saying of the Prophet ﷺ. Mawkuf means it is a saying of the Sahabi. It is the saying, a saying of a Sahabi. In this case it is the saying of Aisha radiallahu anha according to Yani, the opinion of Al-Hafiz ibn Hajj al-Asqalani, that the more correct opinion is that it is an expression or a saying from Aisha radiallahu anha, not from the Prophet sallallahu that there is no etikaf without fasting. Meaning that fasting is a condition for etikaf. Whoever wants to make etikaf, then they have to be fasting. And there is difference of opinion concerning this, especially those who said that this is mawkuf, it is a saying of Aisha radiallahu anha, not from the Prophet sallallahu Therefore, it is not something binding. It is her statement or her opinion according to those who said that it is mawkuf. Nor is there any etikaf except in a jami masjid. That means the masjid in which the prayers, the five prayers are performed. And according to the Jamhur majority of scholars, it is also a condition. It should be in a masjid in which Jum'ah, and Salatul Jum'ah is performed if the person who is in etikaf is of those who are required to perform Jum'ah. And if the women are not required to perform Jum'ah, Therefore, the women, this is not a condition for the women, but it is a condition for those who are required to perform Jum'ah. There's also, uh, there's also the opinion, a minority opinion of those scholars who said that Atikaf is not correct, except in three masjids, that is in Masjid al-Haram in Mecca, Al-Masjid al-Nabawi in Medina and Al-Masjid, Masjid al-Aqsa in Jerusalem. There is a minority opinion of scholars who said that Atikaf, it's conditional that it be performed in one of these three masjids and it is not accepted in any other masjid. And even though it is a minority opinion, it is based on a hadith that is Sahih, 
according to the correct opinion of the scholars, it is Sahih, in which the Prophet ﷺ said there is no itikaf except in the three masjids, and he named these three masjids. And some scholars said that even if that hadith is Sahih, although some denied that it is Sahih, and Allah knows best, but it is Sahih, uh, some scholars like Shaykh Muhammad ibn Salih Uthaymeen, rahimahullah, he said that even if we say that that hadith is Sahih, the meaning of it, that there is no itikaf except in three, these three masjids, he said the meaning of it is that the, it means the perfection of the reward of Atikaf. And yani that the most perfect Atikaf is only in these three masjids and Allah knows that. And from this hadith we understand the first one is that the permissibility or the last that it is not permissible for the person in Atikaf to visit the sick nor to follow the, the funeral uh, procession nor to visit their relatives, nor to go out of the masjid even for any act of worship, except that which is obligatory on them. And except that which is obligatory on them, which they are forced to do. Number two, that uh, fasting is a condition for the person who is performing an ertikaf. And this is because the Prophet ﷺ never performed an ertikaf except while he was fasting. However, it is said that there is difference of opinion about this, and indeed, there is difference of opinion because there is no clear proof that the Prophet ﷺ, the year when he performed Atikaf in Shawwal, there is no proof that he was fasting. However, in all experts have said, and Al-Imam al-Shawkani, rahimahullah, and Nail al-Awqa, he has discussed it on a number of occasions, that the actions of the Prophet ﷺ do not indicate wujub, but they indicate istihbab, that whatever the Prophet ﷺ has done, it means that it is commendable that it is praiseworthy, that it is rewardable. But we cannot say, because the Prophet ﷺ has done something, that everything he does is obligatory. Therefore, those scholars who said that fasting is not obligatory, they said indeed it is commendable. The Prophet ﷺ used to fast when he was in Atikaf, however it is not obligatory, and Allah knows best. Uh, also the condition that the person in Atikaf has to be in a masjid in which the congregational prayers are performed, according to the majority of scholars. And the Prophet ﷺ performed the Al-Tikaf only in the Masjid al-Nabawi in Medina. And obviously that is a Masjid in which the congregation prayers are performed as well as Salatul Jum'ah. The next Hadith, Hadith number 574. An Ibn Abbas Allahu anhumah أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال ليس على المعتقف صيام إلا أن يجعله على نفسه ابن عباس رضي الله عنهما may Allah be pleased with him and his father he said that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said that uh, there is no obligation of fasting for the person in Atikaf unless they make it obligatory on themselves yani unless they make a vow to fast or something like this then it becomes obligatory. Whoever has made a vow to do so, then if they made it obligatory on themselves. However, if one has not made it obligatory on themselves, there is no obligation in the Sharia that one who is in Atikaf has to also be fasting. This hadith, Al-Hafid ibn Hajj al-Asqalani says, Rawahu al-Darqutni wal-Hatim wal-Rajihu waqfuhu aydan. Yani it has been reported by Al-Imam al-Darqutni and Al-Imam al-Hatim and the stronger opinion according to Al-Hafid ibn Hajj al-Asqalani is that it is mawkuf, like the previous hadith. And here we have now two statements that are mawkuf. One from Aisha radiallahu anha, and one from Abdul ibn Abbas radiallahu anhumah. 
opposing each other. Aisha radiallahu anha saying that it is obligatory to be fasting in Atikaf and Ibn Abbas saying that it is not obligatory to be fasting in Atikaf. And Hafiz Ibn Hajj says this hadith is mawkuf, yani a statement of Abdullah Ibn Abbas. In any case, some of the scholars such as Shaykh al-Albani, rahimahullah, and Zaif al-Jamiya declared the hadith in the chain of narration to be da'if. Yani the hadith is da'if anyway, even if it is mawkuf or marfu'an, it is not the chain of this hadith is not authentic. But as we said previously, the proofs for the obligation of fasting in Atikaf that it is obligatory, that it is a condition, there is no clear, definite proof that it is obligatory and Allah knows best, even if it is preferable. Uh, from this hadith, according to those who accepted it as mawkuf or otherwise, there is no condition of fasting for Atikaf. Uh, except that as we said, some of the scholars said the hadith is mawquf, therefore it shouldn't be used as a proof, and it is not a statement of the Prophet In any case, the chain of narration is not acceptable. Hadith number 575, أرى أو أرى رؤياكم رؤياكم قد توافعت في السبع الأواخر فمن كان متحريها فليتحرها في السبع الأواخر متفق عليه قبل من عمر may Allah be pleased with him and his father said that some men from amongst the companions of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم were shown يعني in a dream in their sleep in, in the night or it was said to them in their sleep that ليلة القدر it is in the last seven nights. Yani the last seven nights of Ramadan, the Prophet said, Ara aw ura, I see or I think that your visions, since they have, they are in agreement or they coincide with one another, that Laylatul Qadr is in the last seven nights, then whoever wants to seek Laylatul Qadr, they should seek it in the last seven nights. Muttafaqun alayh, reported by al-Bukhari and Muslim. Now, 10 minutes? Uh, the next hadith is connected to this one and the points related to it we can take together. That is hadith number 576. Sufyan May Allah be pleased with him and his father. Narrates from the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam concerning Laylatul Qadr that the Prophet sallallahu alaihi said Laylatul Sab'in wa Ishrina that it is the 27th night. Yani Laylatul Qadr is the 27th night. Before by Abu Dawood al-Hafid rahimahullah said that the stronger opinion is that it is Mawquf. Yani it is a saying of Muawiyah radiyallahu anhuma. May Allah be pleased with him and his father. Yani he said that the stronger opinion is that it is Mawquf. However, some of the scholars have mentioned that there, there is a chain of narration that is mawkuf and that is which is reported in the Sunan or in the Musnad of uh, Abu Dawood at Sayalisi. However, the chain of, of in the Sunan of Abu Dawood, in this chain of the Sunan of Abu Dawood, he said that some of the scholars said that this chain is Sahih, and Sahih Marfuan, that it is an authentic chain going back to the Prophet wasallam from amongst those who declare it to be Sahih. Shaykh al-Bani, rahimahullah, in the Sahih of the Sunan of Abu Dawood. 
Al-Hafiz Rahimahullah said that the scholars have differed concerning the exact night which is Laylatul Qadr and he said that I have mentioned yani, those various opinions and he said there are 40 opinions he has mentioned them in his explanation of Bukhari Fatul Bari from these two hadith we will close with this uh, they have mentioned the permissibility of relying upon or using as a proof the vision or the dream that a person has if it is related to that which is of the matters which are confirmed already in the Sharia. Yani Laylatul Qadr is confirmed in the Sharia, therefore it is permissible to rely upon a vision or a dream that someone has for that which is already confirmed. And that is with the condition that what they dream or what they saw in their dream is not in contradiction to the basic principles of the Sharia. Number two, that the last seven nights of the month of Ramadan, that they are the most certain as being the night in which will come Laylatul Qadr. Number three, that seeking Laylatul Qadr in the last nights of the last ten nights of Ramadan, yani it is commendable, as in many of the hadith of the Prophet that one should seek Laylatul Qadr in the last ten nights of Ramadan or in the odd nights of the last ten nights of Ramadan. And finally he said that the exact identification or pinpointing of which night is Laylatul Qadr, it has not been defined or it has not been exactly identified and this is for a wisdom that is known to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, as Al-Hafiz ibn Hajj al-Asqalani said in a lengthy discussion concerning this, that it is possible that those hadith which mention a specific night, that it may have been so on occasion, that in one year it came on the 21st night and in another year it was on the 23rd night and in another year it was on the 25th or 27th or 29th and it is not yani, a fact that it has to remain on that night in every year and Allah knows best. Uh, is it possible to finish? Because there are only two hadiths we mean we can finish this section quickly. Hadith number 577 Anna Aisha radiallahu anha ya Rasulullah araita in alimtu qadr ma fiha Aisha radiallahu anha said that I said to the O Messenger of Allah, what do you tell me or inform me? If I know which night is Laylatul Qadr, what should I say in that night? Yani, what should I supplicate with? Qala quli, he said, say, Allahumma innaka afuun tuhibbul afwa fa'afu anni. Allahumma innaka afuun tuhibbul afwa fa'afu anni. Oh Allah, verily you are afuun. You are the one who loves to pardon and forgive. Yani, you are the afuun, the one who pardons and forgives. Tuhibbul afwa, you, you love to pardon and forgive. Therefore, pardon or forgive me. Rawahu al-Khamsatu ghayra Abi Dawood wa sahahahu al-Tirmidhi wal-Hakim It is reported by the five other than Abu Dawood that means the Tirmidhi ibn Majah al-Nasai and the Muslim Imam Ahmed and it has been declared to be sahih by al-Tirmidhi and al-Hakim and Shaykh al-Bani rahimahumullah. In this hadith we know that it is commendable to seek out and to search for, to actively search for Laylatul Qadr, to know when it is. And also that it is commendable and it is praiseworthy to supplicate with this supplication or this, these words that the Prophet ﷺ taught to Aisha. And the final hadith of this section, hadith number 578, and Abi Sa'id al-Khudri radiallahu anhu qala, la tushaddu, wa la tushad, in some of the narrations with sukoon, la tushaddu, ar-rihalu illa ila thalathati masajid, المسجد الحرام ومسجدي هذا والمسجد الأقصى متفق عليه يعني بيقول بقى البخاري المسلم from Abu Sa'id al-Khudri رضي الله عنه that the messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم said that nobody should seek out to go on a journey no, no one should travel except to three masjids يعني no one should travel for the purpose of worshipping in this particular place because of the virtue of that place and the excellence of that place 
except traveling for the purpose of worshipping to these three masjids Al-Masjid Al-Haram, the sacred masjid in Mecca and my masjid that is Masjid in Medina and Masjid Al-Aqsa in Jerusalem reported by Al-Bukhari and Muslim from this hadith it is mentioned the prohibition of traveling to any place for the purpose of worship except to these three masjids and yani traveling for the purpose of visiting the so-called righteous or saints whether they are dead or alive or for any other purpose of getting near to Allah a person should only seek to travel to these three masjids as being special places that Allah has given excellence to number two that the, 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 the lack of prohib- or the prohibition of traveling with the intention of visiting the grave of the Prophet that it is not allowed that a person travels to Medina for the purpose of visiting the grave as for visiting his grave after one has traveled for the purpose of visiting his masjid then it is proper that whoever has traveled to Medina to visit the, the masjid of the Prophet وسلم, it is proper that he should also visit the grave however the intention of visiting the grave that being the intention of traveling is not allowed and there is no difference of opinion about this amongst those who are considered uh, the next point is the virtue of these or the excellence of these three masjids the most powerful of them being the sacred masjid in Mecca and then the masjid of the Prophet وسلم, in Medina and finally the masjid al-Aqsa in Jerusalem and finally the last point is the multiplication of rewards for the salat in these three masjids uh, that this is according to some of the scholars limited to the obligatory prayers to the exclusion of the voluntary prayers as has been stated by Imam al-Tahawi Rahimahullah and other scholars and perhaps one of the evidences that they use about it for this is that the best salat of a person is the salat in their house except the obligatory prayers therefore yani, the prayers in, the, in these masjids that is intended here according to many of the scholars is the obligatory prayer as for the voluntary prayers it is better to pray in one's home than to go to the masjid to pray the voluntary prayers subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika shadun la ilaha illa anta takhruka wa tubu ilayk uh, if there's any question or comment or correction how much time? Huh? Right. Two minutes, inshallah. We'll take two minutes. If anybody has any question or any comment, follow it. Atikaf for women is in the masjid. It's in the masjid. The place of atikaf is the masjid. Yani the, the meaning of atikaf in the sharia is that a person remains in the masjid for the purpose of worshipping Allah. And the wives of the Prophet ﷺ perform atikaf. And no, there is no proof that they performed it in any house. But indeed the hadith is clear that they performed it in the masjid of the Prophet ﷺ in Medina.